Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.57 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 13th of July, 2021. This is episode 454 of Bitcoin. And what do we got on deck here, man? We got, oh, I'm going to get back into the Spike Lee thing. There's been a write-up with some more information on that. We're going <coughs> to read a piece from Obi Nwosu from CoinFloor. Australia's doing some stuff. We've got Bitcoin price action going on. We've got London, the London Metropolitan Police has seized yet another batch of crypto or something like that. We'll get into we'll get into that. But first, I want to remind you guys that if you want to help support the show, you can stream me Satoshi's while I stream you these dulcet tones off the Breeze wallet, B-R-E-E-Z. I am not, no, rather, they are not a sponsor of the show. I do not have sponsors of the show. I would like to keep it that way. Um but I am incentivized to to shill their their uh their lightning wallet because inside that lightning wallet is a podcasting app that you can use to listen to this podcast just the same way that you would listen to it on anything else, except that you have the option to stream me uh Satoshi's. Oh, and while I'm there, I guess I should probably bring this bring this one up. Where's my where's my guy? Where I gotta get my guy. I gotta get my guy over here. Let's see, uh, do, 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 somewhere around here. Yep, here we go. So, Wartime BVC, big shout out, bro. He streamed me some serious Satoshis. Uh, he, uh, he did not mean to. Uh, this was through Sphinx chat, not, not Breeze Wallet. But uh, I'm not going to give the amounts, but the dude, the dude was generous and it was a complete accident. Uh, somehow or another, his Satoshi's per minute value got reset that, and he wasn't aware. So he was streaming me like tens of thousands of Satoshi's a minute before he realized what the hell was going on. And I think he ended up streaming me. I, like I said, I don't want to even dox the, the amount, but it was like right at, at this time, wartime BVC, who is, uh, let's see, big underscore vision underscore GR on Twitter. Uh, is has now become my largest contributor, and it was a complete accident. I have offered to give those Satoshis back because I was able to confirm them on my Lightning node that I did indeed get those Satoshis in the in the exact amounts, which is kind of cool in itself. Because here's I got a guy. He said, um, "Let's see, what's his?" He gave me a DM. He said, uh, "Oh, good God, where is it? Where is it down here?" He sent me a picture of the transactions that he was making. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. And he's like, he just started, he's like, he just says, you're welcome. And then I tell him that, you know, we get into the whole thing about, you know, hey, man, I've confirmed that, that I've got the Satoshis, uh, you know, write me an invoice and, and I'll get them back to you. And he's like, no, man, that's okay, dude. And while I, I mean, while I, there's two things about this. First of all, I appreciate you, Wartime. That was, you know, solid. Second, I enjoyed the interaction with this guy because what we were able to do was we were able to both look at our sides of the transactions, confirm to each other that this did indeed happen. I was a, He showed me that he sent them to me, and I was able to confirm that I got them in the exact same amounts. We didn't have to ask a bank. We didn't have to ask a government. We didn't have to ask FinCEN. We didn't have to ask that big fat guy over at the BIS. We didn't have to do dick. We just looked at our nodes or, you know, his wallet, my node, you know, his node, my wallet. I, we, Our transaction was like clear over the Lightning Network to each other what was going on. And that's kind of amazing when you think about it. 
because I don't need anybody but just talking to this dude on Twitter to find out that, you know, what's the lar- what ends up being the largest donation or support mechanism, or well, let's see, the largest round of support that I've gotten for this show, uh, I was able, we were able to just look at those transactions and confirm to each other that shit happened and without anybody else involved. And um, uh, what the third thing that I enjoyed about the the issue was the fact that I had a chance to be able to just say, hey, write me an invoice and I'll get, it, I'll, I'll get you a refund. And that could have happened. And you know what I wouldn't have had to done or do rather go to Visa or MasterCard or something or the bank. I do again, I, we can, I can reverse that transaction by myself. And it's an amazing, we, we live in this, some amazing times and yeah, a lot of them suck, but Bitcoin is the one thing that is like, it's just like a light coming up over the horizon. And all I'm interested in at this point is propagating that particular light. Now, let's get into the news. Let's start with that whole Spike Lee thing, because I said yesterday that he was hired. He's going to do a a Bitcoin ATM commercial. He's going to direct it. I'm sure he's actually going to be in it as well. But we're going to find out more from Peter Chihuahua out of Bitcoin Magazine. As Hollywood's latest Bitcoin promoter, Spike Lee highlights a sovereign potential of BTC. Mainstream Hollywood celebrities have delved into the commercial world of Bitcoin before. For instance, Alec Baldwin has served as a pitchman for cryptocurrency exchange eToro, and Neil Patrick Harris has partnered to promote Bitcoin ATM operator CoinFlip. But as the latest movie mainstay to begin shilling commercial products tied to Bitcoin, Spike Lee may now offer the greatest synergy between Bitcoin's underlying cultural power and its public perception to date. The actor and director, who is best known for films that challenge the status quo and highlight the stories of America's underserved populations, is directing and starring, yep, there we go, starring in an upcoming commercial for CoinCloud, which operates digital kiosks where users can invest in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Quote, old money is not going to pick us up. It pushes us down, end quote, Lee says in the ad, according to the New York Times. The digital rebellion is here, he is further quoted as saying. The commercial was filmed on Wall Street and in many iconic New York City locations in June. And it also features transgender actress MJ Rodriguez and drag queen Shangela. Though it has yet to air, the spot seems likely to emphasize the power that a decentralized and permissionless monetary network like Bitcoin can offer to those who have been failed by the traditional financial systems and remain largely ignored by the powers that be. There can be some trade-offs when acquiring Bitcoin through an ATM, but these kiosks are often highly accessible portals for new users. And while Lee may just be the latest in a growing line of celebrities hired by Bitcoin companies, the overlap between his significant cultural contributions and the growing financial revolution is undeniable. Quote, if anyone has known my body of work over the last four decades, you kind of know about the way I see the world. And when they approached me, it fit in line, Lee told the Times. Now, that's the end of the article. You can say what you want about Spike Lee. He's been pretty pretty controversial. Uh, he, said, he said some things that, in my opinion, are outright racist. Whatever. You know, I, I mean, I'm like, I, I literally just let go of that bag. Not just because he's for Bitcoin, but just because I got, I got better things to do, man than to worry about who's being a freaking racist. But he makes a really good point. And, uh, you know, he makes a good point by including, yeah, you guessed it, you know, a drag queen and a transgender person. Honestly, again, I don't care. I could, could not freaking care less. As long as they're not directly impacting me, like coming over to my house and teaching my kids about shit, then I, I don't care what they do, I, honestly. It's, it's not my business how they live their life. And the whole point of Bitcoin was to be uncensorable, to not be able to tell somebody that you can't use something. And you may hate transgenders and you may hate drag queens, but again, this is a lesson in what Bitcoin does for people. You're going to hate them all day long and you're not going to stop them transacting in Bitcoin. 
you could be working higher up in Visa and you, and you can tell like, I don't know, MJ Rodriguez or whatever the guy's name or her name is or what, I don't even know how to approach that one, honestly. But you can shut down those transactions if you don't like them. We've seen it done before. PayPal and, uh, <clears throat> it like, well, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, whole banks have just shut people out. And if you're anywhere close to the adult you know, entertainment industry or film industry or freaking stripper, good luck getting a bank account in the United States. <clears throat> if they find out, you're done, even though it's not illegal. All right, so the most, it, it, for somebody who may be the most hated by some and the most loved by others, the one thing that stands right in the middle of all that is the fact that they're going to be able to use Bitcoin whether you like it or not. And personally, I like that aspect of Bitcoin. That's, that's the thing that, that I really enjoy. If they're on Ethereum, maybe somebody will get pissed off at them and, and, and contract out for a request for rollback with their new ultra slick feature. And somebody can say, you know, I don't like that drag queen's transactions. I want a request for rollback. And the miners will take it because basically it's essentially a bribe. Let's move on to Hive that's adding over 3,000 Bitcoin miners and increasing its hash rate by 46%. Joshua Creighton has this one for BTC Times. Bitcoin miner Hive Blockchain Technologies has added 3,019 new micro BT What's Miner M30S machines on its fleet. The new additions will boost Hive's hash rate by around 46%, the company said in an announcement on Monday. The high-performance machines have an aggregate hash rate of 264 petahashes per second when added to Hive's 566 petahashes per second that were already online. The company is now estimated to have a total operating hash rate of 830 petahashes per second. Hive estimates that the Bitcoin at Bitcoin's current price and difficulty level, the new hash power will bring an additional $80,000 a day in income to the company. Let's pause right there. 830 or an increase of, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, 264 petahashes per second is going to net them 80 grand a day. A day, every day. Every day. Man, honestly, I'm more interested in mining than I've ever been before in my life. Yeah, continuing, the machines purchased from Foundry Digital are already on site in Hive's facilities in Quebec and New Brunswick, Canada. Hive has said that it would be also be contributing some of its Bitcoin hash power to the Foundry USA mining pool going forward. Hive's executive chairman, Frank Holmes, stated that the firm's entry <clears throat> into the North American mining pool furthers its goals of increased transparency and accountability. Quote, mining power is shifting from east to west, Holmes further commented, a trend that has been accelerating in recent months following China's shooting themselves in the foot. Hive is based in Canada, but also operates in Iceland and Sweden. The announcement comes just days after a NASDAQ listing. In line with recent trends <clears throat> among North American miners, Hive emphasizes its green energy and ESG strategy. Sorry, Marty as part of its core business model <clears throat> as it utilizes primarily geothermal and hydroelectricity to power its miners. The company claims to use 100% green and renewable energy sources for its mining operations. So God, 80 grand a day off of 264 additional petahashes per second. Gotta admit, man, that's, that's, that's pretty good bread right there, pal. Uh, Bitcoin has been profitable for 96% of its life, in case you were wondering. 96% of Bitcoin prices have been below this price for the entirety of Bitcoin. Just keep that in mind as we go through this bull slash consolidation run. I don't know what else to call it. People can say, we're in a bull run, and I'm like going, uh... I just see a bunch of sideways and, and ranging and shit, you know, since God, what was it, May, when Elon opened his mouth? <clears throat> anyway, let's get into it. It's from Dion Guillemet from Bitcoin Magazine. As more and more institutional investors jump on board, 
<clears throat> and more countries signal their intent to pursue Bitcoin as an alternate investment to the U.S. dollar or even their own currencies, Bitcoin should be over the moon. Instead, jelly hands continue to sell while the whales and sharks continue to accumulate. <clears throat> so he goes on and says, oh, he, he drops a chart in here that's a, a pie chart. It says the chart above is relatively simple. It compares the daily price of Bitcoin since the Genesis block was mined on January the 3rd, 2009 until today, taking into account an average price of $34,000 per Bitcoin. Essentially, the price per Bitcoin was below $34,000 for 4,393 days out of the 4,573 days since the first Bitcoin was mined. And that means there has only been 180 days or about 4% of Bitcoin's total existence when the price was higher. Only people who bought during one of those 180 days are running at a loss. I created this chart with one thing in mind, showing the importance of hodling and how Bitcoin is a profitable investment in both the long and short terms. Those who sell at the first red candle are commonly referred to as jelly hands, selling at a loss, fearing the price will fall further. However, as has happened a lot over the last 12 years, if you hold on long enough, your bags will be worth more than what you paid. Much, much more in most cases. Eye-watering short-term gains introduced many to the crypto market before research and understanding led most of us to understanding how Bitcoin ensures both financial freedom and security for all. Much like greed fuels the growth in price, fear fuels the dump thereafter. So your portfolio is down 5% or 10% or even 50%. What do you do? Simple. Hodl. Yes, it is a particularly difficult asset to hold, especially if you're one of the many that bought Bitcoin above 60 grand. But as I've mentioned before, I believe Bitcoin is overdue for a decent pump over the next few months. It will very likely surpass its last all-time highs, and I predict that those who bought high will feel a little bit of redemption for remaining committed to hodling. As the price regains momentum, the 3.9% of the time when buying Bitcoin has not been profitable will become smaller and smaller of a proportion until new highs are hit. Or you could sell and hope for a lower buy-in and end up like those who sold their Bitcoin at 100 bucks, expecting a dump, only to see the opposite happen. It's hold on for dear life, not panic sell and regret for the next decade. Will, <laughs> will I ever cover recent bullish news that doesn't somehow circle back to El Salvador? Perhaps. But it won't be this week. Last week, politicians from Paraguay signaled their intent to submit a Bitcoin bill in Parliament in the week ahead. What does that mean? Well, it's possible that yet another Central American country may end up adopting Bitcoin as legal tender or at least as an official investment vehicle. Following the previous last week in Bitcoin piece focusing heavily on Bitcoin mining, the last week has seen more positive moves in the mining community. Griffin is expanding with 7,200 new mining rigs and one of the oldest hydroelectric power stations in the United States is being used to mine Bitcoin. I think I've got that up here somewhere later. Add to that, more miners are slowly going back online <clears throat> after the Chinese Bitcoin <clears throat> sorry, mining exodus and the drop in mining difficulty, then it's easy to remain bullish on mining, the cornerstone of the market. I don't believe it's the cornerstone. It's a cornerstone, but not the cornerstone. Finally, Self Wealth, an Australian brokerage, will bring the ability to invest in Bitcoin to many of its people, paving the way for more adoption and likely acting as a catalyst for other firms to follow in their footsteps. So Bitcoin is spreading like wildfire. Now, the bearish part. In a cruel twist of irony, is it or is it irani <laughs> iran announced plans to push through laws that would promote bitcoin mining in the country however they currently still maintain a ban against trading and investing in bitcoin mined outside of iran what the government is thinking remains unclear since they clearly see the value in mining bitcoin but still see it as a threat to financial control over the masses so dictatorships are still bad nothing new there so in, in conclusion, it's been a mantra ever since the term was first coined in, coined in 2013, HODL. HODLing on through thick and thin is sound investment advice, if we're talking about Bitcoin, that is. If it's Tesla shares, then perhaps you should reconsider before it's too late, but Bitcoin is at a decent price to stack some more. Sometimes looking back at past performance is a surefire way to predict what is to come, and I believe this time is no different. 
Bitcoin has been a solid investment vehicle for many individuals over many years, and that will not change anytime soon. If you bought high HODL and learn what the term diamond hands, where the term diamond hands comes from, if you bought low and are still seeing gains, there's no reason to stop HODLing now. And that's good advice. So for 96% of the time, we've been at higher average prices uh, over the lifetime of Bitcoin than we are than 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 we've been below all-time highs. <clears throat> nice piece, and it 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 reflects well what I've been doing for like since 2015, because that was my entry point. <clears throat> I just buy and hold. Yes, I've sold some, you know, during a couple of times when I re when I just needed liquid cash because I just I was gonna have to pay bills. But I mean, I just I buy I buy every week. You know, I just DCA in and I just, I mean, it's all automated. I don't have to worry about it. I get an email every week and it says, hey, you bought this amount of Bitcoin. And I'm like, okay, sweet. I've been buying it before it went to 60, you know, past 60 grand. I've been buying it at 60, you know, above 60, 60 grand and I'm buying it now. I'm just, I've got a long time horizon and I just think that that's sort of the way or certainly the way for me to go and maybe other people too. We've got this piece by Obi Nwosu who writes this for BTC Times. Usually every week he'll write a piece and I like reading it because Obi's a pretty good, pretty good writer. He says, this one's named People Power. <clears throat> Bruce Lee famously told his students to be like water to adjust to challenges and find a way to flow around or through them. But that's not the only way to become unconquerable. Bitcoin is more akin to one of those strange non-Newtonian fluids that suddenly harden when subjected to pressure. This resilience and imperviousness to sudden shocks is by design, but it draws its strength from ordinary people just as much as it does from its coding. And that's something its critics can't or won't admit that the reason Bitcoin's unbeatable is because it empowers anyone to take control of their financial destiny and that every participant, whether minor or investor, helps perpetuate the revolution. The last few weeks has provided a perfect illustration of the role that we play in furthering the Bitcoin revolution, even against the full weight of a global superpower like China. When the Chinese authorities banned Bitcoin mining and the global hash rate plunged, the Bitcoin network reacted almost immediately with the largest downward difficulty adjustment in its history. This meant less work was now needed to mine a given quantity of Bitcoin, making Bitcoin mining more lucrative. In fact, last week we saw mining revenue return to levels last seen in May, when the price was around 45 grand. And with mining becoming more profitable, more people are incentivized to start mining, so inevitably global hash rate regenerates. I've written before about Bitcoin quietly doing what it should and about Satoshi Nakamoto's genius in anticipating and designing effective workarounds to every potential pitfall his or her creation could conceivably face. But Bitcoin's design, its core protocol, is only part of that story. Satoshi also understood <clears throat> the role that we would play in growing and sustaining Bitcoin. As a permissionless system where anyone can mine coin, it doesn't matter if one or many jurisdictions tries to prevent mining. This just makes it more worthwhile to set up a mining operation somewhere else, whether it's a massive Bitcoin farm or an assembly of ASICs in your shed. All you need is an energy source, such as a windmill on your roof, or a volcano if you've got one at the bottom of your garden. The beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that it's a technology designed to complement and draw strength from the most powerful force on the planet, humanity's deep yearning to be free, to prosper, and to be in control of their destinies. <clears throat> and the problem for those in authority who want to ban Bitcoin is that they would need to exert such a level of authoritarian control over the citizenry that it would make a mockery of these core human values. As the founding father of liberalism, John Stuart Mill put it so well, quote, The only freedom which deserves the name is that of pursuing our own good in our own way so long as we do not attempt to deprive others of theirs or impede their efforts to obtain it, end quote. <clears throat> he could have been writing about Bitcoin, and in a way he was, because you can't strangle Bitcoin without killing the very freedoms on, this, on which the society is built. So my advice to Bitcoin's opponents is to be like water, to go with the unstoppable flow and embrace the people-powered revolution. 
Another day, another good news story that goes almost entirely unreported in a media more fixated on Bitcoin's price and China's crackdown on miners. Last week, we saw another significant development in Bitcoin's infrastructure with the news that an additional 250 Bitcoin capacity was added to the Lightning Network in June. 250 in June, Lord. By supporting near instantaneous transactions, Lightning enables Bitcoin to become an even better medium of exchange. To do this effectively, however, the network requires a reserve of liquidity, much like the memory on your laptop or phone. The bigger the cash, the greater the volume of transactions it can handle. Lightning's public channel capacity now stands at an all-time high of 1,651 Bitcoin, meaning that it can currently support <clears throat> up to around $50 million worth of transactions at any point in time. Bitcoin's bandwidth and therefore its utility is growing all the time. But just as importantly, it gives us yet another metric to evaluate Bitcoin's rapid progress on the path to hegemony. So that's the, you know, the, the lightning network. God, guys, I was listening to, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Peter McCormick's what P Bitcoin did and, he had Andreas Antonopoulos and, um, oh, was it, uh, Dec oh God, Richard Picard, something like that. Uh, he's, he is, uh, working on the lightning network and he's working around, uh, atomics, like, like atomic multipath payments and dudes, this lightning network is just as, okay. It's not just as important as Bitcoin, but it's like coming in second as a network, it is definitely coming in second. And by the way, just so you know, if you don't listen to uh, what Bitcoin did, uh, Peter dumped 10,000 euros onto Renee, was it Renee Picard? I think it may be Renee Picard. Anyway, he was, he was looking for grants and they were talking about it and Peter just pulled out 10,000 euros uh, right then and there and said that he would fund fund that. And then Andreas said he would match. So Renee got 20,000 euros to continue his work on making multipath payments and the ability, which is essentially multipath payment is this. If I want to pay you 50 bucks over the Lightning Network, easy, totally easy. Most channels have that, you know, not most channels, but a lot of channels that are on nodes that are interconnected to other nodes can facilitate those payments. A dollar, a couple of dollars, even easier. There's even like more nodes with more channels that have like that kind of liquidity. I want to send you a thousand bucks. Now we start getting problems. Why? How many channels have a thousand dollars that are inside nodes that are connected to other nodes that can facilitate that liquidity hopping from one node to another? The higher the, pro the higher the payment invoice, the less and less likely it is that you're going to actually have a successful you know, lightning network payment. So atomic multi or the multipath payment, <clears throat> uh, sorry, the multipath payment makes it to where that invoice could basically be split up amongst nodes and go to <clears throat> go to like a, a you know essentially it gets an, one invoice is broken up into many. And those mini invoices are taken to uh, different nodes that can handle the liquidity. They spray the payments of, through their liquidity channels that they can handle. And then they're all collected up on the other end <clears throat> as one great big payment, which makes the whole issue of you have to, for a thousand dollar payment, you need to be able to route through nodes that have at least $1,000 sitting in liquidity in their channels it makes that sort of obsolete. So it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what's going on with the Lightning Network. Now, Australia news. <clears throat> Major Australian broker Self Wealth to bring Bitcoin trading to 95,000 investors. This is out of Bitcoin Magazine. Major Australian online broker Self Wealth is in discussions with Bitcoin exchanges to add BTC trading capabilities to its platform of over 95,000 users, according to local news outlet, the Australian Financial Review. According to a survey recently performed by the broker, over two thirds of its customer base has interest in cryptocurrencies. 
half of which already invest in them. Quote, Australians have decided that cryptocurrency is here to stay and are looking for trusted platforms to facilitate their investment decisions, Self-Wealth Chief Executive Kath Whitaker said in a statement to the Australian Securities Exchange per the report. Quote, we want to make investing for our customers as seamless as possible. Currently moving between popular investment types uh, usually requires access to multiple trading platforms and for investors to move money multiple times, end quote. Streamlining the investment process is surely a driver for adoption since it facilitates the user experience by cutting down on intermediaries. Additionally, another motivation for SelfWealth's decision to bring Bitcoin trading to its platform relates to the reaping the associated fees. The online broker has reportedly committed to a flat percentage fee on cryptocurrency trading and will share the revenue with the chosen exchange partner. <coughs> Whitaker <coughs> also noted that once SelfWealth adds the ability for investors to buy and sell Bitcoin, Ether, and other cryptocurrencies, I should have said shitcoin, sorry, while also trading local and U.S. shares in the same platform, it would establish an Australian first. The addition is reportedly taking place by the end of this year in an arrangement where the broker would integrate a third-party wallet into the platform to custody the investor's Bitcoin. However, SelfWealth has not elaborated on the details of the arrangement, including which Bitcoin exchange it would partner with and whether users would be given a choice to custody the BTC with the third party or do it themselves. As Bitcoin becomes further established into the mainstream investment cohort, the avenues of exposure provided are mainly treating BTC as just another financial asset rather than the innovative peer-to-peer -peer digital cash, which it is. As a result, they often neglect essential features that reflect Bitcoin's most fundamental principles, such as providing the option for BTC withdrawal. Unless users are empowered to withdraw their Bitcoin to their own wallet, they'll be limited to enjoying only the price appreciation aspect of the hardest money in the world. And that's going to do it for that. And all, all I will say about that is that if you can't self-custody from a service, don't use that service. There are plenty of places that allow you to withdraw Bitcoin that you buy on their platform to your own wallet, your own keys. Do that. Right, if like so, for instance, if you are in Australia and you are listening to me, then uh, if Self Wealth turns out not to allow you to withdraw your Bitcoin before you even pay Australian dollar one, you better make sure that you can and do a test too. Like like buy twenty bucks on 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 Self Wealth's exchange when that thing opens up, and then and make sure that they are, are living up to their word if they say that they're going to let you self-custody and get that 20 bucks worth into self-custody and see what happens, right? If it's easy, then, you know, then you can be a little bit more assured that they're serious about it. But that's all up to you. Hey, let's run numbers. CNBC.com futures and commodities tells me that something is afoot. It's probably the fact that at 8.30 a.m. sometime today, and I, they, I don't even know what the time zone is on that, but apparently at 8.30 a.m., the new CPI report, the Consumer Price Index report, is coming out that tells us what happened with inflation. So as you might imagine, everything is flat. I mean almost completely flat. How, let's start with oil, which is up a mere 0.175%. So West Texas Intermediate's coming in at $74.22. Brent North Sea holding a little, you know, faring a little better. It's up point, or actually a third of a point. Wow, it just moved. It's coming in at $75.41. Natural gas is down by two thirds of a point, $2 or $2, $3.72. Gasoline is up 0.8% or no. 0.18%. God, get it straight, dude. $2.28 a gallon. Gold is up a scant. It's like coming in at $1,808. All the other shiny metal rocks are down. Silver by a third, platinum by almost a point, copper by two or uh, three quarters, and palladium is down a half a point. All the agricultural futures are down except for soybeans, which are up 0.04%. Wheat, however, is making the major move to the downside. One and a quarter percent down for wheat. 
the corn, what's the corn doing? It's well, it's 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 down. <laughs> it's always down. Dow futures down 0.13, S&P futures down 0.01, Nasdaq futures are actually up by a third of a point, and the S&P mini is down by a quarter of a point. Let's talk about real money whose price is 33,000 almost on the dot. $33,002.22. A quarter million transactions performed in the last 24 hours is about 9,379 transactions on average every hour. With almost half a million BTC being sent in that in that time period, that ends up being about 17,600 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.8 BTC a median transaction value of 0.023 BTC, which is right around 750 bucks. Block times are 10 minutes and 40 seconds, so they're high, but not as bad as it was yesterday. 0.2 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 27 and a quarter BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 2.85% drop in hash rate, we are now sub 90 exahashes per second at 89.88 exahashes and your shitcoin indicator is dogecoin which is now below 20 cents to 19.2 united states pennies which is entirely too high of a price in my opinion we have 605 or 600 6500 transactions waiting on five blocks to clear all the mempools we have a capacity or market capitalization of 619 billion dollars <clears throat> which is only 5.27% of gold's entire market cap, yet we can get 18.3 ounces of shiny metal rock with our Bitcoin, of which there are 18,755,079 BTC in circulation at this time. 1,800 of that is in the Lightning Network, so we're now up even higher than what Obi was talking about. <clears throat> 1800.8 BTC has a capacity value of right at $60 million being run over 12,401 nodes that we know about and 54,615 channels that we can see. The percentage of Tor capacity is ticked past 68% to 68.1%. So that means that there is 1,226.13 BTC sitting on the Tor side of the Lightning Network being run over 7,084 Tor nodes, or at least the ones that, again, that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. As promised, we're going to talk a little bit about the CPI after, uh, this uh, in this Cointelegraph article by Yashu Gola. Bitcoin rebounds from 33K support as United States dollar inflation comes back into focus. Uh, Bitcoin prices steadied on Tuesday after closing the previous session at 3.41% loss, supported by a weakening dollar sentiment ahead of a key United States inflation report due later today. Spot BTC exchange rate arose by a modest 1.3% to 33,096 after bottoming out on Monday at 32,996 on Coinbase Exchange. The CME Bitcoin futures was up 1.64% from its previous session's low of 32,600. Meanwhile, the United States dollar index was down about 0.03% ahead of the London opening bell. The index represents the greenback strength against a basket of top foreign currencies. Bitcoin and the dollar moved inversely in the week of key inflation reports and a crucial congressional testimony from the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell on Tuesday. The United States Consumer Price Index expects to post another significant spike in June, highlighting a run-up in inflation as the economy attempts to recover from the coronavirus pandemic slowdown. A Reuters poll of economists noted that the CPI might have increased by 0.5% from May and 4.9% from a year earlier. Many traders bet on Bitcoin against the prospects of higher inflation, partly due to the popular news narratives that project the flagship cryptocurrency as a hedge against central banks' inflationary policies that hurt fiat currencies' purchasing powers. In detail, 
The Federal Reserve has been running a $120 billion monthly asset purchase program since March of 2020, while keeping its benchmark lending rate near zero. As a result, the United States Central Bank's policies have doubled the size of its balance sheet to more than $8 trillion. That's trillion with a T. Meanwhile, the same period has witnessed Bitcoin spiking up, uh, spiking up to... (laughs) God, a hundred, what, God, okay, I'm going to do that one again. Meanwhile, the same period has witnessed Bitcoin spiking by up to 1,528% from $3,858 to almost 65 grand. The cryptocurrency declined by more than half by the said mid-April peak, but sustained its overall bullish bias as relentlessly holding $30,000 as a psychological price floor. The support came extremely handy following the previous two CPI reports showing that inflation jumped to 4.2% in April and 4.9% in May. The uptick in the CPI readings is an indication that the economy has not healed completely from the pangs of the pandemic and the crypto market is trailing the negative inflation figures. Gustavo De La Torre, Director of Business Development at N-Exchange, told Cointelegraph. He added that lower Bitcoin prices combined mixed economic outlook would drive more investors to accumulate the cryptocurrency. Quote, should the buy-up intensify, a price push-up to 40 grand for Bitcoin may be seen in the short term, added De La Torre. Additionally, Konstantin Anizamov of CEX.io warned about Fed's hawkish, uh, potential hawkish reaction to further inflation hikes, noting that it might prompt the central bank to unwind its bond buying program and cut interest rates earlier than expected. Quote, as things stand, the Federal Reserve has increased the size of its balance sheet from early 2020 to more than $8 trillion dollars a substantial rise, end quote, he said, adding that lower crypto prices would keep serving as the right hedge against inflationary fears for the time being. He further noted, quote, both Bitcoin and this other shitcoin, starting with an E, with the renewed buy-ups are likely to retest new price levels of $45,000 and $3,000 respectively. On-chain indicators continue to point towards an ongoing Bitcoin accumulation as of the last week's close <clears throat> per Glassnode, entities with little history of selling continued piling up Bitcoin from weaker hands, while net exchange flows dipped into negative territory, suggesting that traders have been withdrawing their Bitcoin from trading platforms to hold. Quote, retail has been buying heavily for weeks now, but we finally got the uptick in whales that we were waiting for, noted Will Clemente, an independent market analyst. Quote, there were 17 new whales birthed on the blockchain this week, while at the same time, the overall holdings of whales increased by up to 65,500 BTC. So there you go. Let's get into this one. Capital Group Division buys 12% stake in Bitcoin heavy microstrategy. So um, before we get into this, let me just kind of make a, a, a statement. It looks like Michael Saylor made the right play. He holds so much Bitcoin that MicroStrategy is like, has become a different beast altogether than what was uh, a software analytics, you know, or uh, an analytics software uh, writing company. It's, it's now something different. He's got all the revenue coming in from the software side. And now he's got a whole pile of Bitcoin that people can speculate on and grab exposure to by purchasing his stock. So even if like, let's say that this price of Bitcoin stays like in the ranging between 30 and $35,000 for a whole other year, people are going to start buying MicroStrategy stock to just gain exposure to the Bitcoin without having to custody it. So he's a de facto ETF. It's amazing. The guy, the guy is, he may be insane, but maybe we just think he's insane because he's really a lot smarter than we might be giving him credit for. He certainly is a lot smarter than the Nobel laureate economists are giving him credit for. Let's get into it from Matthew DeSalvo and Decrypt. A $2.2 trillion asset manager has bought a stake in MicroStrategy, a cloud software company with huge Bitcoin holdings. 
Capital International Investors, a division of Los Angeles-based Capital Group, bought a 12.2% stake in MicroStrategy last month, according to an SEC filing today. The 953,242 shares are worth $561 million at today's prices. This means that Capital Group, one of the biggest investment organizations in the world, has direct exposure to Bitcoin as MicroStrategy keeps a majority of its treasury in BTC. The Michael Saylor-led firm has hoovered up uh, 105,085 Bitcoin worth $3.4 billion at today's prices. Capital Group, which counts mutual fund manager American Funds as one of its companies, declined to comment to decrypt on the investment. MicroStrategy's Bitcoin buying obsession is one of the key reasons for the cryptocurrency's phenomenal bull run, which started last year. The Virginia-based company started buying up the asset last year, investing $250 million in August. The company has since purchased loads more of BTC, and CEO Michael Saylor regularly preaches the currency's value just about everywhere, including frequently on Twitter. MicroStrategy has even sold debt to buy more Bitcoin. Right now, it owns more of the cryptocurrency than any other publicly traded company, but someone owns it. And right now, only BlackRock, the world's largest sovereign wealth fund, has more MicroStrategy shares than capital with a 14.56% stake. So between the two, man, that's, that's quite a bit of shares that are just held, of MicroStrategy that are held by just two institutional guys. Hats off to Michael Saylor, man. It's working. That's all I got to say. It's working. <clears throat> now, the London Met. Metropolitan Police, also known as Scotland Yard, sees record-breaking $250 million worth of crypto. Andrew Asmakov is writing it for Decrypt. In what is believed to be one of the largest law enforcement investigations globally, the London Metropolitan Police, called the Met, has seized nearly uh, 180 million pounds or $250 million worth of cryptocurrencies. This is the second significant seizure in recent weeks after the Met confiscated $158 million worth of crypto late last month. The amount of the seized crypto over the two halls totals $408 million U.S. As per the Met statement published on Tuesday, the seizures, seizures were carried out by the Met's Economic Crime Command and formed part of an ongoing investigation into international money laundering. Commenting on the matter, Detective Constable Joe Ryan described the investigation as complex and wide-ranging, adding that it will continue for months to come as we hone in on those at the center of this suspected money laundering operation. A 39-year-old woman allegedly involved in the money laundering network was arrested on June the 24th and interviewed about recent seizures while the Met has once again emphasized that cash still remains king in the criminal world, the task force also said that as digital platforms develop, we're increasingly seeing organized criminals using cryptocurrency to launder their dirty money. According to Deputy Assistant Commissioner Graham McNulty, just years ago, crypto was a fairly uncharted territory. However, currently the law enforcement has, quote, highly trained officers and specialist units working hard in this space to remain one step ahead of those using it for illicit gain. Uh, uh, in, in its na annual National Strategic Assessment of Serious Organized Crime, which was published this May, the UK's National Crime Agency said it was worried by the increasing adoption of cryptocurrencies and technological advances in this field, which make it easier to launder criminal money. Quote, those linked to this money are clearly working hard to hide it, <laughs> said McNulty, adding that the law enforcement will stop at nothing to disrupt the transfer and identify those involved. So yet another haul <clears throat> by Scotland Yard. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how you're finding these people that have apparently no freaking clue how to secure their, their Bitcoin in a way that you guys can't get your hands on it. I mean, honestly, I kind of wonder if it's just like, I wonder if they're lying. I, I, I'm sorry, I can't help it. If you've got that much money in Bitcoin and, and you're actually performing money laundering, and you're not you know, leveraging multi-sig and you know, having different signatures, 
with different people in different parts of the world. I, I honestly have to question the validity of these news stories that are coming out from Scotland Yard. Because either everybody in the money laundering business in London is either a complete fucking moron or this is a complete fabrication to make Bitcoin look bad and Scotland Yard look good and scare everybody. I mean, don't, I mean, am I wrong? Don't, I mean, are they just knocking on people's doors and going hand over your hardware wallet and give me the private keys and unlock your hardware wallet so that we can make the transaction to our, our Scotland Yard wallet? And they go, okay. I mean, is it really, really? They're not even trying, saying, look, man, if you want those keys, we got to go all over the world. <clears throat> I don't know. It, I, I, I'm, I'm smelling something fishy out, out there. But <clears throat> getting to this story about uh, we kind of, that one uh, story that we read earlier is kind of uh, alluded to this hydro station that was mining. But one of the oldest hydropower stations in the United States is indeed mining Bitcoin. This is from Bitcoin Magazine and is from Namcios. Bitcoin is helping increase the profitability of one of the oldest hydropower stations in the United States, the Mechanicville plant, as reported by Times Union. After decades of court fights, unused antique machinery, and plenty of restorations, the plant is now back at total capacity, and it is using part of that to mine Bitcoin. Quote, we think this is the oldest renewable energy facility in the world that's still running, said Jim Vesha, Sr., CEO of Albany Engineering Corporation, which owns the Mechanicville plant. Quote, we can actually make more money with Bitcoin than selling the electricity to the national grid, end quote. <clears throat> Let me pause there to say, oh, that's not going to play well. Not with the ESG narrative going on. You're going to have every, every pink hair just ripping their eyes out and saying that they're boiling the lake, even though this is a hydro plant that generates no heat. But I guarantee you, it could get that stupid. Continuing on, Albany Engineering got involved with the plant after National Grid asked the company to refurbish and operate the facilities back in 1986, which were founded on an antique structure. The two corporations then signed a contract in which National Grid would lease the station to Albany and buy the power for 40 years below market price. Besha swiftly started repairing the plant and applied for an independent license to operate it, which was only conceded seven years later. Besha would later learn that, in the meantime, National Grid changed its original plans and claimed it would not honor the contract. Besha sued National Grid, and it took 10 years to settle in court. Oh, there's so much wrong with that statement right there, but we don't have time. During the dispute, the plant began to fall apart as the national grid refused to buy power and eventually Albany couldn't run it anymore. Substantial damage was made with part of the building having flooded once and a generator catching fire another time. But after the settlement, national grid agreed to give up the plant, help pay for the repairs and buy its energy at market rate. The plant is now back at full capacity, generating power and selling it at market rate to National Grid at three cents per kilowatt hour. Additionally, the ancient facility is currently experimenting with Bitcoin mining to increase its profit margins, which allows it to make three times as much money as just selling the energy. Quote, it's the best type or sorry, it's the best type of Bitcoin mining because we're using renewable energy, Besha said. We're just doing it on the side, experimenting with it. We're buying used servers, end quote. Furthermore, the Mechanicville hydroelectric plant has now been nominated for landmark status in three different types of engineering, which is civil, electrical, and mechanical. That, along with the plant's listing on the National Register of Historic Places and its increased profitability through Bitcoin mining, is set to potentially keep the plant working for centuries to come. Now, this story reminds me, uh, if you ever go down to Durango, or you could hop the train on Silverton. If you, uh, this is in Colorado in the United States, by the way. Um, the Durango-Silverton narrow gauge railway is a great ride. I mean, it's touristy and all that kind of stuff, but it's unbeatable, man, because you're, you're going on a train over ancient tracks that were used when these towns were actual mining towns, deep, deep, deep through the San Juan National uh, Forest. And it's, it's, freaking spectacular, completely worth the money. 
especially if you want to, you know, if you want to have some drinks, they actually will run a train in the caboose as a full functional bar. And if you pay to be on the bar car, you get to sit down and just be at a bar for the entire trip. It's kind of cool. It, it really is. But <clears throat> when you're coming into Silverton from Durango, about, I don't know, I can't remember. It, it's more on the Silverton side. There's a hydroelectric plant that is, it's, is itself ancient, still in operation in the middle of nowhere. And the plant is so far, the only accessibility to the plant is the train. That's the only way you can get there. Short of the train, you have to take a helicopter in, right? The people that operate the plant actually live at the plant. There's like five houses, like, like two-bedroom bungalows, and they operate the plant in the middle of nowhere. And every time I, since I've been in Bitcoin, every time I drive or uh, ride by that thing on the train, I'm looking at it going, soon, brother, soon. <laughs> Let's see here. Oh, <clears throat> crypto crackdown targeting USD access points has begun, says Caitlin Long. Martin Young has the full skinny on it from Cointelegraph. Caitlin Long, founder and CEO of the pioneering bank for the crypto sector, Avanti uh, Bank and Trust, has declared that the regulatory crackdown on crypto, quote, has begun. In a lengthy tweet on July the 13th, which is today, the Wall Street veteran highlighted her thoughts on the current regulatory situation in the United States, predicting that authorities will not target Bitcoin and Ethereum directly, Instead, opting to go after the intermediaries and access points for U.S. dollars into the sector. Quote, the issue isn't Bitcoin or other crypto protocols. They're just fine. The risk comes from the bank's operational processes, end quote. She also noted that July 13th marked the key event in which the comment period for the Federal Reserve's proposed payment system access guidelines ended arguing that the Fed's guidelines were partially aimed at cryptocurrencies, despite not mentioning the asset class directly. The guidelines, proposed back on May the 5th, outline the system that the central bank will use to evaluate requests to access the agency's financial services. The proposal comes amid growing requests from fintech firms and financial institutions and providers to gain access to the payments system. Caitlin emphasized the importance of ensuring crypto firms are able to gain direct access to master accounts with the Federal Reserve, citing an example from 2017 when a number of banks carried out mass closures of bank accounts connected with crypto, stating, quote, didn't matter whether business was legit or scam, all were debanked, end quote. Long emphasized that the same risks remain today, noting that leading U.S. exchange Coinbase has expressed the same concerns in its IPO prospectus. Quote, it's important for our industry that law-abiding companies gain act direct U.S. dollar access on our own. It's not just about cutting out layers of fees that many in our industry are incurring just to get United States dollar access, she said. Avanti, which received a bank charter in Wyoming in October 2020, has submitted its own 18-page comment letter emphasizing its concern with the Fed's proposed legislation. Long, who co-founded Wyoming Blockchain Coalition in 2017, was instrumental in establishing Wyoming's permissive regulatory apparatus regarding crypto firms. So there you go. It's you know, I wish Caitlin wasn't so knee deep into Ethereum as she clearly has become, but she's got a good point about the access points in the Federal Reserve and banks and whatnot like that. And honestly, is it going to matter? Yeah, in the short term. Is it going to matter in the long term? I kind of doubt it. But the question becomes, how long term are we talking about? I don't know. I wish I could tell you. But I, I have a sneaky suspicion that people in, in the United States government, especially the newer cats that are coming up through Congress, not the old guys, the, the old guard's going to need to die. And I, I hate to say it that way, but I hope that they do so and become firmly planted six foot under before they can infect the newer class of Congress, uh, Congress people coming up through Congress because they're a little bit more idealistic and they haven't been, you know, polluted and corrupted and, you know, they're not all jacked up yet. They're still relatively like, you know, children, 
where they can go a different path. I think, I think they may go a different path, but we'll have to wait and see. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, episode 454 is in the bag. Just a reminder, use Breeze Wallet and stream me Satoshi's for my dulcet tones, and you'll be able to help support the podcast without me getting any advertisers. Uh, I just, I I would like to do that. So use the Breeze Wallet. Uh, Sphinx Chat also works. I'm, I'm getting, you know, all my Satoshis that, that get streamed to me over Sphinx are coming directly to my Lightning node. So I'm custodying that. It's not going into a custodial wallet or something like that. I'm literally running a lightning node and I, it's one of the most amazing things to see. So again, use the B-R-E-E-Z wallet and inside that you'll find the podcasting app. And how can I let you go on this Tuesday without a dad joke? How does a hamburger introduce his wife? Meet Patty. Ah, yeah. Meet Patty. See you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.